Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from Tibco.com, T-I-B-C-O. Let's see what it says. Top performing companies are able to differentiate themselves in the market through their ability to use the right data at the right time for conclusive decision making. Now, the reason I brought you that quote is because we're talking about data. We're talking about companies and we're talking about top performing. If you're not among those, we know you want to be. Our topic today is the data driven enterprise doing more, achieving more, attaining more, succeeding more with less. It's a mathematical equation. Figure it out. So let me give you a little more background before I introduce my guests. If your company is like most, come on, admit it. You've accumulated tons and tons of applications. They're all specialized. They're all predefined. They're all on a single track doing whatever they're supposed to do. The interfaces between and among them are complex. And guess what? They're not allowing you to share data anytime soon. It's really a struggle. So let's do a reality check. I'll give you a question to my audience. Which would you rather be? A car manufacturer service department that has to batch and update 20 or more program systems that are all siloed. The data is old. It's probably wrong. Every time you have to deal with a customer appointment, that's option A or door one. Door two, option B, would you rather be a data-centric enterprise with a central data pool? Aha, I hear you breathing a sigh of relief that boosts your agility, makes you more productive, streamlines processes for your employees and your partners, brings in more revenue, customers love you, and you're doing it all with less time, less cost, less strain on IT, and less complexity. Well, I think we know the answer. So let's find out how to get there from my panelists. I think we have three today. Let's see who we got. First up in a moment, it will be my pleasure to introduce you to Detlev Sandel. If you're looking for him, his name is Detlev, D-E-T-L-E-V, Sandel, S-A-N-D-E-L, Senior Director, Digital Innovations and Head of HANA Services at Capgemini. Joining him on the panel, Jeff Kyle. Jeff is Vice President and General Manager, Missions Critical Systems, I like that title, Jeff, for HPE, that's Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And we hope to be joined by a third panelist, Axel Schwartz, Solution Advisor, Chief Expert and Enterprise Platform Architect at SAP in Germany. So let's get the party started. Detlev Sandel has sent us a quote from Albert Einstein. You all know who Albert Einstein is. 1879 to 1955, German-born theoretical physicist, famous for depicting on a blackboard with his crazy white hair the following famous equations, E equals MC squared, the most famous equation in the world. Here's the quote Detlev has selected for us today. We cannot solve our problems with the same way of thinking that created them. Detlev, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm fine, Bonnie. Thank you for having me on the call today. We're delighted to have you talk to me about this quote. I haven't heard it in a while. And what are we doing in terms of, we're talking about data-driven enterprises today. How does this quote apply? 
Well, you know, uh, for me, um, this quote has been a guiding principle already for many, many years. Um, it, it sounds a little bit like a no-brainer, um, but when you look into reality, um, we tend to stick to patterns that we have learned 40 years or even more ago, and we try to do more uh, of the same anytime, although the, the world has changed dramatically in the meantime. Um, it's like the title of our show today, um, Achieving More with Less. What we do today is we add more hardware, we add more software, we add more silos, we add more people, we add more resources, and the whole thing gets more and more complex. It's a little mm-hmm. bit like fighting fire with fire. It might work in some uh, cases, but uh, most of the time it does not. So we need to think a little bit out of the box. And that quote motivates me, reminds me to be creative, to try to find new ways of doing things. And um, actually, to be honest, it keeps me alive a little bit. Ah, interesting. <laughs> while, you're, while you're speaking, Detlev, it reminds me of back in the day, I was a programmer analyst working for the state of Oregon. And I was, let me see, what, what was I doing? Um, at first, I was coding in... Um, uh, COBOL on a, a Xerox Sigma, Sigma 6 CP5 system, and then I was coding in PL1 on an IBM 4341. And the reason I'm sharing this with you, not not to give a reference to how long I've been around, but we used to call spaghetti code. When I would inherit a program, Detlev, where programmer after programmer after programmer had attempted to add a new feature or a new function, and they hadn't gone back and cleaned up the J-U-N-K in the program, they just kept adding more spaghetti. And think of spaghetti without any sauce in a pot getting dry, and it just gets tangled and tangled and tangled. So I had to unravel the spaghetti. Can you relate to that, Detlev? Uh, absolutely. And you know what? The spaghetti is still there today if you look in the yeah. customer landscape. I bet it is. I bet it is. Well, we need to just get a good salad and some sauce, and what can I tell you? Thank you. Now I'm hungry. Exactly. Thank, thank, <laughs> thank you, Detlev. Great opening to the show. Now let's turn to our second panelist, Jeff Kyle at HPE. Jeff has sent us a wonderful quote from Abraham Lincoln. I think this is also words to live by Abraham Lincoln, if anybody doesn't know, American statesman and lawyer who served as the 16th president of the U.S. from March 1861 until his assassination in April of 1861. 65 at a famous theater and he lived he was born in 1809 in case you're wondering here's the quote don't worry when you are not recognized but strive to be worthy of recognition jeff kyle i love this quote how are you hey bonnie i'm doing really well thanks uh, i really love that quote too so it's really, really worth to live by yeah, talk to me. So uh, I'm, after the show, I'm going to go crochet it on a pillow. I've got a bear pillow in my in my office living room here. But before we do that, tell me, we're talking data-driven enterprise. We just finished a great quote from Einstein delivered by Detlev Sedell, your colleague on the panel here. And we're talking about thinking differently. So how does recognition apply to all this, Jeff? There's a couple of things I'd bring up here. When, when I talk to customers about data, it is, uh, you know, to use a term, unsexy. It runs their business. It's at the heart mm-hmm. of their business, but it doesn't get the recognition that AI or, you know, things out in the cloud or things at the edge, it just keeps doing the job it's supposed to do. 
And I love forums like this because it gives us the opportunity to remind those people at the core of the data center how important data really is for everything. It just keeps doing its job. Do you think that the people in in the data center don't realize that? Do you think they think it's just, well, just moving stuff around? It's just, I don't know, it's just a program and it's files and it's storing them and maybe somebody asks for something at some point. Do you think they realize this is a new concept, Jeff, the idea of data-driven? I think they're beginning to realize it. And I think Mm -hmm. the important thing is CIOs, CFOs, especially, I think CFOs are starting to realize how important data is for companies. So it's no longer something just thought of in in the data center managed by IT. Now it Mm -hmm. is becoming an asset to the company and a really important time for us to talk about this. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you on. And I have been told by the powers that be that we have got Axel Schwartz with us now. Axel, as I said in the beginning, is Solution Advisor, Chief Expert in Enterprise Platform Architect at SAP Germany. And Axel has sent us a quote. Well, it it was quoted by Thomas Friedman in his 2005 bestseller, The World is Flat. But it actually started, uh, it was originated either at an as an African proverb many years before, or it was also on a uh, the Essence of Survival, a motivational poster. The earliest incidence of this quote, Axel, I looked it up, is in a, uh, a securities analyst back in 1985 written by Dan Montano, M-O-N-T-A-N-O, and he apparently was the originator, or he's the one who found it in a section of, or a segment of African Proverbs. I'm going to be quiet now and read this. So here you go. Everybody you may be familiar with him is absolutely beautiful. Every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the fastest lion, or it will be killed. Every morning, a lion wakes up. It knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle, or it will starve to death. It doesn't matter whether you're a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better start running. Axel Schwartz, I'm smiling, I'm laughing, and I'm appreciating it. It's a survival and and survival and survival. How are you, Axel? Oh, hi, Bonnie. Um, I'm doing very well indeed. Thank you for joining us. Talk to me about this quote. You picked this quote, and our topic is data-driven enterprise. How do we relate the quote to the topic? Yeah, it re- it reminds me every day that I have to keep on running. Yeah? You know, um, when you look around um, um, yeah, the world, um, it's like um, Thomas Friedman um, pointed out, is um, indeed becoming um, flat or, or more flat every day. Yeah? Internet, computers, other things. So we are going stronger and much faster now, um, shifting competition from local to global. And this means that you have to be that you have to keep the pace, that you have to keep on running um, to not getting behind. Um, and this is also this reminds me every day doing that, and also from a personal perspective. Yeah. Very interesting. Yes, I, I think from personal perspective, it applies to all of us. I'm so intrigued. The three of you have sent quotes and you pick them independently, quotes that are really words to live by for all of us. As a matter of fact, Axel, I texted this quote to a friend here in, I'm in Durham, North Carolina now, and he said somebody had given it to him on a poster years ago and it's framed in his office. So it's very well known and very appreciated. Axel, thank you so much. And now let's circle back around the table to Detlev Sandel and Detlev 
Detlev, I have two personal questions for you. I told you on our prep call, they're not too personal. They're just two personal questions. Number one, where in the world are you today? And number two, what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world that makes you smile and powers you and makes you think about solving problems? Detlev? <laughs> There's many drinks that help me solve problems. Not all of them contain alcohol, by the way, but many do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I really led you right up to that one, didn't I? Go, go ahead. <laughs> That's right. And actually, I, um, I live in the in the Upper Rhine River Valley in Germany, which is one of the largest wine-growing regions in Germany, if not the largest wine-growing region. So we we have I have a lot of wine around me, and uh, we have so much wine there that we sometimes drink them out of half-liter classes just to make sure that the storage is empty until the new harvest comes in. But today wow. I'm actually in Munich, um, in Bavaria, and if I look out the window, I can see the snow-capped mountains in the background, very beautiful scenery, but actually it's very warm. Mm. And you know, um, Munich is not only famous for its Oktoberfest, but also for its beer gardens, and I think I will go to one of them tonight and have a cold, fresh Bavarian beer. Wow, I think we're going to join you. I'm here in Durham, North Carolina on the the eastern seaboard, and I have to tell you that uh, we had sleet and almost snow over the weekend. Cars were frosted and iced over if you left them outside. And the day before, we had so much pollen from the trees because it's supposed to be spring that everybody's cars, if you didn't have them garage, were covered with yellow dust from the pollen. So we don't know what season it is. It was so cold yesterday. We were wearing boots and coats, and here it, it was April 8th, and it just, it's very, very hard to predict. So I'm glad you have weather in the 60s, and I want you to go to that beer garden. I want you to hoist a pint for all of us on the call if we're in a colder climate. Thank you, Detlev, and thanks for the smiles. Jeff Kyle, where are you today, and what do you love to drink that powers you and your team? Bonnie, I'm in sunny California today, Palo Alto, California, mm-hmm. and it is nice here in Silicon Valley, and it's interesting. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of colleagues from around the world often ask me, well, I'm coming to Silicon Valley. They come here. Where are the big buildings? Where are the neon signs with all the companies? <laughs> and anybody that's been here knows nothing over three stories tall, and all the buildings and companies are interspersed within neighborhoods. So it's a very suburban environment. If you're If you're looking for excitement, San Francisco or Munich with Stetlis <laughs> and uh, not necessarily Silicon Valley. So I think I we're all going to go to the beer garden with them. So go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. <laughs> exactly. And I keep a cup of uh, black coffee in front of me almost constantly or at least through early afternoon to keep me going. And it's funny. I was uh, in, you know, I go with my wife or friends and Starbucks or Keats or any choose your coffee shop and hear people order half-cap, decaf, mocha, (laughs) macchiato, all that stuff, and I'm still just a black coffee. Not every barista understands that, but uh, (laughs) just a black coffee. Uh, Do you have a flavor or a bean you like, Jeff? There must be something you tell them if they say, well... What do you think? Is there something a special, a certain uh, Arabica? I don't know how you pronounce it, Arabica bean or a a French roast or anything or just black coffee? 
you know, I'll just order black coffee, but I got the opportunity to travel in Costa Rica one time, and ah. I think it's Arabica beans in Costa Rica, but it's a beautiful, medium-bodied coffee out of Costa Rica. So kudos to the Costa Ricans. I had a feeling I could get you to pin that down. Thank you very much. I'll drink with you. I take my coffee black as well when they let me have it. I'll tell you that story later. Axel Schwarz, where are you today, and what do you love to drink that powers you? I'm currently in the headquarters of SAP, so located in Waldorf um, in Germany. And um, normally I live um, in the nearby the city of Mainz. Um, and um, um, as Detlef said, yeah, um, also Mainz is uh, surrounded by wine yards. Um, so, <laughs> of course, I prefer to drink wine, white wine, yeah, especially we call it a rape called Riesling. Yeah, I don't know if you know that. Yeah, so this is a very popular I, rape here, uh, grape here in our area. I'm a big fan of yeah. Riesling, Axel. I buy a brand called Barefoot. Mm. I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming it's California. Mm. It's got a little imprint of a golden foot on the top of the cap before you remove the mm-hmm. wrapping. And it's got a foot footprint on the uh, on the label. And it's a delicious, very sweet Riesling. And that's my favorite. And I can get it very easily. So you're a Riesling fan as well? Yeah, sure. Well, I like. I prefer the dry one. Okay. Well, I'm going to go. I tell you what. I'll take the sweet one. You take the dry one, and and that way there's plenty for everyone, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's fine. Thank you very much. Good all around the table. I have to tell you, gentlemen, that uh, I am not allowed to have anything with caffeine near me on radio show days. Jeff, that's a heads up to you. So uh, I may have a coffee later on, but it would be decaf. It's just uh, caffeine and I just uh, explosive. So I think I have enough energy to last the day without it. But seriously, on Tuesdays when when I do two live radio shows for SAP Game Changers an hour apart, the, the joke when I ask my panelists what they're drinking is I say today is a radio day. They don't let me anywhere near caffeine. All I'm allowed to drink is cool, clear water and a cool, clear mug. And today, and it's true, I'm still doing this today, uh, a yellow straw because I'm hoping for more sunshine here in Durham. It's kind of gray out there. The skies, ah, a lot of white clouds look very fluffy. Blue's peeking through, but we need more sunshine. Come on, we need we need that 60s, 70s that we had two weeks ago. We were even up to almost 80 degrees here. And then we had an ice over. I just don't get it. Anyway, I'm in the south, and they say, Jeff, they say when you move to uh, to the south here, if you don't like the weather, wait either 20 minutes or 48 hours, and it will change. And they're absolutely right. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to a very interesting panel. We're talking about the data-driven enterprise, doing more, achieving more, obtaining more, everything more with less, a lot less. I have three special panelists, Detlev Sandel, Senior Director, Digital Innovations, and Head of HANA Services at Cal- Gemini, Jeff Kyle, VP and General Manager, Mission Critical Systems. I just love that title, Jeff. For HPE, that's Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And rounding out our trio of experts, Axel Schwarz, Solution Advisor, Chief Expert in Enterprise Platform Architect at SAP Germany. We're just going to go straight through without taking a break today and start our roundtable because we're on a roll here. Very important topic. Is your company aware that you might have, oh, batch processes and data hidden under rocks and the systems are siloed and they can't talk to each other. And how in the world are you going to run your company as a data-driven smart enterprise if you can't figure out how to get to the data when you need it? Well, let's see if we can help you figure that out. So Detlev Sandel at Capgemini told me the following. Detlev, let me read a little bit from your notes here and then you can expand it and then we'll 
we'll invite Jeff and Axel to come in and chime in with their thoughts on your topic. So you say, let's look back in history. For decades, we have been adding dedicated applications to solve specific business problems. Each of these applications uses its own data store. We've been building interfaces to exchange data between them, and we've started to build hierarchical organizations around the data silos, not around the business solutions. So let's use this as a way to introduce how bad the problem is. Detlev, why don't you share your thoughts with me for a couple minutes, please? Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. Happy to do so. Um, as, as Gemini, we are, we're looking at both. We're looking at the IT side and we're looking, of course, also at the, the business process side. And I mean, um, uh, it's, it's no discussion anymore that uh, our customers and customers around the world uh, need to take care about their data and need to build um, business processes upon data and need to automize, uh, automate things more than they did in the past. Um, need faster reaction time. So this is all um, this is all common sense today, more or less. But then when we talk about now, how, how are we going to solve these challenges? How do we get value out of the data then? And this relates a little bit to my quotes, which we had earlier. Um, then the typical reaction is, well, let's bring in a new system to solve mm-hmm. the challenge. So let's open a new Silo, let's call it data lake, let's call it whatever we can call it. Let's purchase every data, piece of data we have in that, in that lake and then we'll hire some data scientists. They do some magic and after that we can serve our customer better. And surprise, surprise, it just doesn't work because it just adds more complexity. We're doing analytics on uh, duplicated data, on redundant data. Mm-hmm. And the root cause of all of that is um, the way we build applications since about 30, 40 years. The paradigm is called client-server architecture. That's the main architecture we have today, um, which means I have an application, I have some code running, some business process, and each of those applications have their dedicated data store. Um, and that data store might be connected, might have an interface to other data stores, I call them silos uh, because data is siloed in them, but some of them are even isolated. And then what's happened, and that's my third point, is that organizations started to build their, or companies started to build their organization around those data silos, and today we have a lot of functional uh, organizational units in the companies which are the master of their data silos and which protect, of course, uh, very much the data silos, whereas we need a free flow of data today. Thank you, Detlev. Great level setting to establish why we have the problem in the first place. Let's see what Jeff Kyle has to say. Jeff, please add on to what Detlev shared with us. Yeah, Bonnie. One of the, Hi. One of the things I heard Detlev talk about was uh, processes within the companies, and I think it's really interesting to look at the actual people processes as well. So to expand on what he said, people have created uh, these dependencies around their own skill set, and companies have uh, capitalized on that to the best benefit, but companies really need to also look at the skill set that's needed to move forward. They have good people. They actually need to help those people expand their skill sets Mm -hmm. as well. So it becomes a 
people thing too. They just they just leaned on to what those people knew, and they helped create those silos when, in fact, they need to look at the skill set needed to take the business forward and understand that smart people are going to be able to advance their own skills anyway. I'm glad you brought up the people side, Jeff. Very important. I was going to ask that as kind of a, a bonus point on this part of the discussion. And very often when we talk about data, we talk about IT, we talk about tech, we forget that there are people still involved. As far as I know, we still are not running completely robot-driven shops. And we have humans, and, and they have skill sets, and they have education, and they have learning curves. So thank you very much for bringing this up. Axel Schwartz, love to get your thoughts on this part of our discussion. What do you think about these siloed data lakes or whatever we want to call, whatever body of water we want to put them in. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. from my point of view, um, I think that many companies have to think about an, a more or less fundamental shift. Uh, they are using or they are, they are trying to incrementally improve their systems um, with every, as, as uh, Detlef stated out, uh, with every new problem they're trying to solve, they establish a new system for this. And um, that will end, or this ends, in a really um, diverse and very um, chaotic or um, historically grown IT landscape. Yeah? So they have to fundamentally shift, um, or make a fundamental shift there, and to um, come back and think um, or develop a more holistic view on these systems and think about a more, how to say, deeper integrated, more single siloed system as. Um, they do today. And the problem um, I'm facing um, many, many times is that um, we are facing the organizational boundaries in um, these companies where all these people you mentioned are working and they have their competencies, they have their yes. um, their areas um, where they are responsible for and they are trying to improve and to optimize their areas, but they not oversee the whole um, um, or they are not um, um, develop a view on the whole systems and an end-to-end view on every um, um, component which is involved. Thank you, Axel. I'm, I'm glad we're veering into that people part. I, I do have a question for the whole panel. Let me start with Detlev and then we'll go to Jeff and Axel. The question is, and I ask this frequently on these, these shows where ostensibly we're talking about data and, and I have to bring in that somebody has to take responsibility. Who hires the right people? Who assigns the roles? Who says, okay, take this hammer, smash this box, silos are coming down, I don't care how long you've been here and where you're coming from, we have a new mantra at the top of the company. So let me start with Detlev. Where does it come from, this new view, you can't solve the new problems with the old way of thinking? Does it come from senior leadership? Does it come straight from the C-suite? Does it come from an influx of, I'm going to use the M word, the millennials who are in their mid-30s, they're not babies anymore, or the generation following them? Does it, is it a groundswell from people who might be coming into IT and saying, nah, this isn't going to work. We have to blow this stuff up. So Detlev, what do you think? Where, who are the people who are responsible for taking this old way of thinking and making it new? What do you see? I think uh, to make it simple, we should separate or we should, yeah, we should separate two types of companies. One are the established big players, um, mm-hmm. the blue chip companies, the Fortune 500 companies, um, which need to transform um, into data-driven enterprises. And for me, this is this is the CEO topic. So it's C-level suite, and it's not only CIO. He is just uh, the master of making it happen. But the strategy, mm-hmm. the organizational change, and the 
the need to change uh, the behavior needs to come from the C-level suite. You've been talking about the millennials. Yeah? Many of those millennials, they don't aim to work in those companies. They build a mm. startup or some agile companies. And for them, they work as data-driven companies right from the beginning. They are the challenges for the big companies. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Jeff Kyle, thoughts on who's, whose job is it anyway to quote a TV show? Yeah, something similar to what Stelette said. I think it's a timing issue, startups. You know, anybody that's company that's five years old or maybe even up to ten, it's it's the people, it's millennials, it's it's what they know, it's the higher abstracted layers that they've been dealing with as as they thought about how technology works, and it's a very technology driven type of environment. Social media mm-hmm. companies use data to make money. That's really Almost all they do is use data to make money. A more established traditional company, it has to start with uh, the C-suite or even higher in the uh, executive chain, chain at the CEO level to really, to really push the company forward into a completely new direction. And the funny thing is, it's not really completely new. It's probably just at a much faster pace than most people are comfortable with. Thank you, Jeff. Very thoughtful answer. Axel Schwarz, love to get your POV on this, your point of view. Talk to me. Yeah, I, I deeply think that the, that the a strong senior leadership um, um, has to be there, and we need the power of them um, to overcome these boundaries and these organizational structures of a company. And um, yes, technology plays an important role for that, and yes, um, also the millennials, millennials will do um, although um, power that up, but um, to overcome organizational structures, to make things completely different than in the last 10 or 20 years, you need the power of a senior leadership. When you look at startup companies, for example, and they are, tr- they are um, creating software from scratch, yeah, for example, in the insurance industry and so forth, they are so fast and so strong because they... Um, do not have to getting rid of the heritage um, uh, which um, big companies have, for example. Yeah? They can build these um, um, the software, the new software systems on, on, as, a, as a greenfield or using a greenfield approach for that and doing the right things now. They are building, currently building software completely different than 10 or 20 years ago. Thank you very much, Axel. I, I think that was a good idea to go around the table on that one. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, Jeff, Kyle, I'm looking at your notes now, and let's talk about something here. We're talking about data-driven enterprise, and you said in your statements before the show, data is the new currency in modern business, but there's data, and then there's data. It's growing, right? The rate of accumulation is growing. Are companies using it? Should they be using it? How do you distinguish between the data that you should be mining, tapping, analyzing, Gleaning insights from, sorry to end with a preposition again, and doing something with versus the data, you should say, eh, not so much. So talk to me about the data new currency. What's your observation? Yeah, when I, when I talk to customers, when I, I look at marketing technology, you can clearly look at social media companies to know that they are not only mining their data, but even selling their data. So it becomes mm-hmm. as simple as selling data uh, at that level uh, for corporate income. But there are more traditional companies, manufacturing, financial services, 
and small and medium business services companies that accumulate data that don't necessarily sell that data for money, but are going to try to figure out how to use that. And they they always have. I mean, clearly, uh, anybody before using any type of technology to track what my customers do, I kept customer names in files, or, uh, and, and we researched that information and used it. So none of this is new, but what is changing is the amount. Uh, and uh, I've heard as much as, as 80%, partners estimated 80% of an ERP customer's data just from standard input of data, business to business or business to customer, is lost, logged and then lost and not used. So there's the data that's logged. There's also the data that now comes from, of course, the Internet and web clicks. I'm surfing. What am I, what am I clicking on? Where have I stayed? Where have I hovered? Uh, it's amazing the amount of information that comes from a web is not just the page you clicked on, but where you hovered and how long you hovered. And then it segments it if I'm doing online shopping into uh, a price band of things where I hovered and how long I hovered. All of that becomes data that is then used and mined. And every company knows now that to get to that data and analyze that data is critical. So projects are being being created all the time, and it's that that's what becomes the currency. The data becomes the currency, uh, not just selling the data to get money, but actually understanding more and more and more about your own customers, your own partners, so that you can increase efficiency and that you can make what I call actionable insights on the data, and then it becomes value to the company when you can create those actionable insights. Thank you very much. Good overview on that one. Axel Schwartz, love to get your thoughts on what Jeff Kyle just shared with us about the value of data. What do you do with it? Axel? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I strongly believe that we are currently living in these, um, how they call it, API industry, or API um, 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 driven um, environment. So uh, what I see at my customers, um, they are opening up their systems. They are more, making them more accessible, more integratable and much easier integratable to build ecosystems, for example, and to be part of um, bigger processes, for example, across um, um, their, envi- their environment, which is in control of them. Uh, so they are opening up their systems and to making them more accessible. And this um, gives some companies the opportunity, and they are using that um, to monetize these data, yes, for sure, yeah, to, 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 um, so that others are paying a fee for getting this data or to using this data. And um, this is coming up. Yeah? This is, my objective is that this is currently growing, and um, this has... Yeah, this is currently, uh, I think, a new trend um, I can see here. Thank you very much, Axel. Let's circle around the table to Detlef Sandel. Detlef, join us, please. Thoughts? Yeah, sure. I think in the end, um, it's all about the customer. I mean, we're getting used, if you use the Internet, if you use Google, if you use the social media, like like Jeff said, we're used to get uh, very tailor-made offerings and tailor-made information. Um, and, and it's getting better and better what, what, what we are offered um, over the Internet or over mobile apps. And then 
let's take the example uh, from an introduction from a traditional car dealer. Um, you have a sales department and a service department, and the service department doesn't necessarily know how much cars you already bought from Mercedes or BMW or Chevrolet or, or whatever. It's, it's the same across the, the whole industry. Um, and even if I go to a service station, this service station in Munich, if I have a trouble with my BMW, doesn't necessarily know that I have been to my service station in Heidelberg um, mm-hmm. uh, one week ago, and everybody treats me as they've seen me for the first time, but I want to have a unique experience. And i give you another example. In my yes. new car, which I bought, um, I, can, uh, I, can, I have an, an Internet access, and I can have a hotspot in my car. And the hotspot, is, uh, the provider, is the same company as my mobile phone provider. But if I want to open the hotspot in the car, I have to go through the whole registration process with my mobile provider again. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see no sense because they already know me. I already am a customer. Why can't they just open the hotspot for me? And, and bill it to my to my regular mobile bill. Oh, if only the world were that easy. I'll tell you a, a quick story. I wanted to get a newer version of the sports car I own and love and adore, but it's from 2008. Only has 31,000 miles. I hardly work from home, hardly go anywhere. And uh, I wanted to upgrade it. So I found an, an online, a very well-known company that talks, that shows you cars from dealers all over the country, basically, or in your area, and, and it tells you the provenance of the car, if you will. I found my car of my dreams, and I went on their website. That's where I found it, and I clicked the box, Detlev, and the box said, contact us. Tell us you're interested, and I did, and I put in my address and my phone number and my email, and I said, I'm very interested. I want that car, and I got an autoresponder in five minutes that said, yes, we've got your information. We'll get in touch with you. Guess what the next email I got from them was a week later, Detlev? It said, wow, we just sold the car. <laughs> Congratulations to us. We just got full, pr- and I'm thinking, well, what about me? You know, my money wasn't good in this part of the world. They never called me. So talk about sharing information and databases and mining and analytics and insight. This was sitting, it was found money for them. It was two hours away. I would have gotten a friend to drive me cash on hand, trade in a beautiful car. And all they did was just autoresponder and they simply walked away. Now that, that data should have been gold to them, right, Detlef? Should have been? Definitely. Yep. So I can't figure it out. They're an Internet-based company, and they don't know how to use the Internet. I don't know. But I digress. Thank you for going around the table on that one. Jeff, anything you want to add before I move on to some notes here from Axel? We still have a little time left. Yeah, so really, uh, I think great insights by my uh, partner panel. Uh, my partner's on, on the panel here. Uh, I certainly believe that this uh, data um, you know, becoming, you know, the currency in modern business is, uh, is certainly a trend that's here to stay. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Now that we've talked about uh, the the point, if you're just tuning in, we're here on Internet of Things with Game Changers. Uh, Jeff Kyle at HTPE was talking about data is the new currency in modern business. And let's talk about what makes the world go round. I'm looking Axel Schwartz's notes and he says, companies need to continuously change. And you put in quotes here, constant change is the new 
normal from an IT perspective. Companies should rely on platform vendors whose strategy is to continuously evolve underlying technologies with platform. So without getting into specifics, of course, Axel, because we don't do that here, let's talk about where the data should be, who should be having access to it. How does the platform help in generic terms, Axel? Yes, uh, thank you very much for the discussion um, or the mm-hmm. statement. Yes, I I strongly believe that a platform, for example, gives the um, gives companies um, the opportunity to participate on technology uh, and and technology and developments, yeah, and so these uh, kind of things. So it is hard for even smaller companies um, to. Um, um, to adopt um, these technologies, and um, this is very difficult for them to to have the the right skills in place and all these kind of things, and to really to participate and to use these technologies. So for them, it is um, a good idea um, um, to develop a strategy um, to get access or access um, um, such a platform from a strong vendor um, whose strategy is exactly to continue and um, evolve these underlying technology. Um, yeah, like, for example, adopt machine learning, adopt blockchain technologies, um, adopt an, and, and, and predictive analytics, for example, um, just to name a few of that. Um, and this is what I meant by um, this constant change is a new normal. Yeah. You cannot predict the future currently. Yeah, you, there will be some, um, how to say, it looks like that, for example, machine learning will be predominant in the near future. Our predictive and analytics will play a very important role, and um, it is difficult um, um, to keep the pace um, for many companies. So a platform vendor with a strong platform, which is adopting these technologies, might be a good idea for them. Very, very interesting, yeah, because you have to know what to, where to put that data, what to do with it. Let's go around the table and, and see if we're combining the concept of data-driven with platform, a platform basis or a platform support for that data. Detlev, what's your thought on that? I think what, what we see today is the tremendous acceleration of, of uh, technologies and progress in technologies uh, dri- driven by, by technology changes and new possibility themselves. And, it, and uh, we see an explosion of the data volume. And um, now when we think about artificial intelligence, this will leapfrog us to, to another level of, of what is possible today. And I think this is something that all companies need to 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 react to. Um, as we said before, we we have today a siloed, isolated uh, world, um, and the only way that you make that data usable to everybody to get that free flow of data uh, to to kill the batch processing, like I used to say before to customers. Um, mm-hmm. Establish a common platform on which the whole um, company is working on. And the good news is the technologies to do that are there. So it's not an issue of technology anymore. It's an issue of organizational change, like we said before, to uh, make the decision by the CEO, we want to change, we want to change our structure, we want to change our behavior, we want to change the way we serve our customers. And then there are the technologies to actually support that efficiently. But as we said, or as as it's also in the headline, 
It will not work if we try adding more applications. We need to think a different way. We need to think platforms, and we need to reduce complexity in the IT landscape. Thank you. And, and before I bring Jeff in on this and, and wrap this up with Axel, who started this topic, uh, Dale, I have a question for you. I believe you were the one who mentioned that we. I asked whose job is it anyway to promote this change, to promote the idea that you can't use the old solutions to get rid of the spaghetti and the code, etc., all of our wonderful metaphors. So my question is, how hard is it for established, I call them the behemoth enterprises, the, the strongholds, the blue chip, if you will, to make these changes versus the startups, the serial entrepreneurs, the millennial-driven companies that are hitting the ground running that understand this versus, and let me add one more wrinkle to this, versus, uh, let's say, a mom-and-pop shop, whatever the industry is, who really are not up on technology and are growing fast and don't know how to become part of the data-driven world. So I've got got three options there. Detlev, who's going to win that race? Do you do we have a winner, or is it going to take time for everybody to get where they need to go? This is a hard one. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's called stump, we'll Bonnie winner. stumps the panel. Go ahead. One truth. Um, big companies need to get more agile and, and need to change. I mean, we have plenty. We have plenty of examples in in the history of economics. Uh, where, where big companies fail, you know, the, the, the famous example of digital photography uh, invented by Kodak. Um, um, but we have yeah. also um, good examples where almost fail companies are the new big players like Apple. Um, um, mm-hmm. So I think there's a chance for everybody to be a winner in the race. But of course, for the small companies, uh, it's easier to get to that level of agility and speed which is required. But, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the large companies still have the large customer base, and if they make use out of that, uh, they can really outrace a lot of those challenges. But um, there is need for action. Interesting. Thank you. We got the action word in there. Appreciate that, Detlef. Jeff Kyle, you can talk about what Axel introduced and or my uh, stump, the, stump the Panel Challenge question. Go ahead, Jeff Kyle at HPE. <laughs> yeah, um, well, Axel opened up platforms. As a platform provider, you could go a couple of ways here. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, some platform providers will cater to the risk aversion of the data that customers manage. Don't change. Stay with us. Be careful. Don't get fired. Uh, I'll help you. Or, you know, (laughs) you could really embrace, and this is where I do agree with Axel, uh, embrace the change. Embrace moving forward. As a platform provider, I know every customer will make moves on their own schedule that suits their own business needs. But I actually do think it's really important to look for uh, those that can change, those that are adopting partnerships and open standards and moving technology forward. Again, not everybody does it at the same time, and things have to be proven out for other customers, but I think it opens up the market to all types of competition, all types of movement forward. About, what was it now, 20 years ago, there was a a book uh, a lot of us read, Who Moved My Cheese? Mm -hmm. And I think that's still pertinent, right? Change happens. Embrace it, and I think you always end up on the right side 
of that change when you understand it, embrace it, and move forward. And that's technology, platform, hardware, software, all of that stuff uh, to get on board that uh, that movement forward. I think it benefits uh, uh, everybody in the end. Thank you very much. You you harked back to uh, back in the day, Who Moved My Cheese? An Amazing Way to Deal with Change in Your Work and in Your Life, published September 8th, 1998. That's the one, right, Jeff? That's the one, yeah, exactly. It's a mo- I'm on Wikipedia. I'm fast here. Motivational business fable. The text <laughs> describes change in one's work and life and four typical reactions to changes by two mice and two little people during their hunt for cheese. A New York Times bestseller, business bestseller upon release, Who Moved My Cheese, remained on the list for five years. Did you know that, Jeff? Five years. And it's I did. Over Very popular two- in business. Wow. Spent over 200 weeks on Publisher Weekly's hardcover nonfiction list. It sold more than 26 million. Yeah. I think it was popular, 26 million copies in 37 languages and remains one of the best business-selling books ever. Thank you very much. Thank you. I really appreciate the reference there. My goodness, it's by Dr. Spencer Johnson. If anybody out in our, our audience has never heard of it, go look it up. Who Moved My Cheese? And the V in the word moved is a slice of it looks like Swiss cheese here making me hungry. Thank you. Axel Schwartz, let's circle around the table to you. You started this concept of platform and we got into a couple of different areas here. So Axel, what would you like to say to your two panelists on where we went with your topic? Yeah, um, I just want to add one thing. Um, that yes. uh, to to um, decide for a platform to use it and to um, adopt the technologies which is bringing um, doesn't necessarily mean that you are sticking to that platform and that uh, that the platform is um, blocking you and making you less agile. Or um, uh, this doesn't necessarily mean that. What I mean is when you're looking at um, how the systems um, are developed today. When you look at these um, um, architectures, many um, 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 systems are following, which are de- which have been developed um, several years ago, which have a clear structure, a clear layered architecture, and the separation, for example, of um, transactional and analytical systems um, um, in such an environment. Um, um, when you are not changing fundamentally things. Um, you will be not be able um, to become a real-time or near real-time business, uh, and this is um, and this um, this is um, for my in my opinion the reason why a platform which is um, providing that capabilities from a technology perspective to make these things. Yeah? Forrester, for example, called that translutical um, 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 platforms or translutical systems, which combines trans, uh, transactional and analytical systems in one layer, in one platform. This is what I'm talking about. And this is not blocking them. Um, I think this is, um, for many cust- uh, companies, the key um, um, to become such a near real-time business and to participate on these um, new technologies which are around. Thank you, Axel. Appreciate that. Talk about participating. It's time for us to quickly dive into our crystal ball predictions round. Let's take a peek into the future. I can give you each 60 seconds, and that's about all we have left. So let's circle around the table to Detlev Sandel at Capgemini. Detlev, how far in the future can you see for whether we'll still be talking about data-driven enterprises, and will we call it the Detlev Enterprise? Will we name it after you? I don't know. So 60 seconds, that's all we've got, Detlev Sandel predictions, please go. Yeah, thank you, Bonnie. Um, it's 
going to be interesting to see how the data of enterprise will look like. But anyhow, um, I think the first data-driven enterprises are out there. They're small, but they're agile, they are growing, so they will force um, other companies to follow, <laughs> adapt or die, if you want. Um, we have a new type of workforce, the millennials coming into the market um, with a new customer behavior, with a new workforce behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think uh, we will continue to see the acceleration in the change of business models. We will see, um, we'll continue to see the acceleration in the progress of technologies. And all of that will lead to a lot of changes and a lot of exciting times for all of us in the future. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if it will happen in 5 or 10 years or 15 years, but it will happen and, and I'm on. Thank you. Jeff Kyle. Let's see what the Jeff Kyle data-driven enterprise will look like. i got 45 seconds left. We're almost out of time. Go fast. Jeff, predict, please. <laughs> yeah, Bonnie, just to actually give Axel kudos, I actually believe hybrid transaction and analytics processing is going to be the next big thing within the next five years. So transactions and analytics in memory, and it's memory-driven compute that will drive that. Memory prices will come down and non-volatile memory will become the key where you can save everything and you can save it for fast recovery, fast reboot, but it's always going to be there. Memory-driven compute. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. I got uh, 30 seconds for you, Axel Schwarz. You're up. Go fast. Okay. Um, now, as you know, predictions of the future are always a bit tricky. Yeah, A business consultant would say, oh, Yes, the best way to predict the future is to help shaping it. And this is um, when I come right. to my opening statement. Um, yes, it is somehow better um, to start running now. Yeah? Become a real-time yes. business with the ability to act in the moment. I think this will be the predominant um, thing in the near future. Thank you very much. Three very smart panelists. I really appreciate your time, your input, your preparation. Detlev Sandel at Capgemini. Such a pleasure to meet you, Jeff Kyle at HPE. Same. And Axel Schwarz at SAP. What a dynamite threesome you three were. We've been talking about the data-driven enterprise, doing more, achieving more, obtaining more, making more money, succeeding more with less. That's it. Get on the data bandwagon. It's your new currency. If you don't know what to do, listen to the show again and learn from my panelists. I'm Bonnie DeGrand. Quick shout out to Matt at World Talk Radio for being our engineer today and to Ira Burke and team, big team, for getting this wonderful panel together. Really appreciate it. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a data-driven game changer today, just like Detlev, just like Jeff, just like Axel, just like me. Have a great one. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. 